oh yeah, let's just go to the movies. Let's just do that. That would be a great Sunday. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at PBCC. Uh, great to see everybody today. And as Dr. Ray shared, uh, we're wrapping up our series, God on Film, and we're looking at Star Trek Into Darkness. How many of you have seen that? Yes, it's a great movie. I'm going to try not to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it today. I'll do my best. No promises. Um, but I, I loved it. And uh, I, I've really become, of oh, the last two Star Trek movies, I've really become more of a Star Trek fan than Star Wars. Don't hate me. Um, I used to not like Star Trek because I grew up with uh, William Shatner as Kirk. Right? You know, now he's the Priceline negotiator. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, he's the founder of stop motion acting. You know, Scotty, I don't know what to do. Help me, Scotty. I figure any Sunday with Shatner is just special. So, and then, of course, the new, the new Captain Kirk is Chris Pine. Kim makes fun of me for how much I like this guy. He just makes it rock. I mean, he is awesome. J.J. Abrams, the director, um, just did a phenomenal job of just, just reimagining the Star Trek universe. Um, just great stuff. And if you've if you know anything about Star Trek, you know that in spite of all the spaceships and all the fighting and the Klingons and all that stuff, that ultimately it's the story of two men, right? There's Captain Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, Priceline negotiator, and who? His first officer who? Spock. That's right. And it's really the evolution of their relationship. It's really the, the differences between their character, who they are, their, their, their point of view, the way they see the world. And if you know, uh, Spock is half human and half what? Vulcan. So he's got kind of a heart, but most of his life is very linear, very logical. Uh, Spock has this incredible ability to like stay on mission no matter what. And then there's James Kirk, who his mission is pretty much himself. Like, he's, he's the guy. He lives to push the boundaries. He acts like rules don't apply to him, and he goes through life really trying to build his own kingdom. Well, before we talk anymore, um, let's watch the trailer. I hate this! I know you do! you have any idea what a pain you are? I think so, sir. Jim! You think the rules don't apply to you because you disagree with them? Three, two, one. By now, all of you heard what happened in London. It's a fugitive, and I want to take him out. Hold on! Captain, this ship will not fit. We'll fit. We'll fit, we'll fit! I told you we fit. I am not sure that qualifies. We're gonna do this, we gotta do it now! You ready to swim? I'm ready. Punch him. Tell me this is gonna work. I believe in you. Come on, it's gonna be fine. Oh yeah. Yeah, so here's the deal. Let's go to the picnic and after that, let's go to the movies. Let's just do it, it'll be fun. Just a few of us, yeah. So it, what, what you discover, really, the first Star Trek movie was how Kirk and Spock get together. This last one is really the story of how different they are at their core. And at the very beginning of the movie, we see that Spock, because of that just ability to stay on focus, ability to stay uh, living for the mission, he's willing to, like, give it all. 
He's willing to pay the ultimate price for something outside of himself. He's willing to pay the ultimate price for people. Something bigger than himself. And Kirk is blown away by this. It doesn't make sense to him because his whole life has always been about Kirk. And as the movie unfolds, as they beat bad guys and go across the universe and all that stuff, we discover at the end that Kirk has had a revelation because, because of the challenge of mentors in his life who are saying, you can't live like this. There's something greater. There's something bigger that you can live for, maybe even die for. At the very end of the movie, we see a willingness on his part to give his life, to give everything for others. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying there's a change. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a change that happens in him. And so as part of our conversation this morning, that's really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about mission. I want to talk about living on mission, living for mission. Spock is all about it. Kirk kind of gets there over the course of the movie. And the question is, we're going to, I'm going to talk about two questions today. The first question is this, what would you die for? I don't want to be morbid, but what would you pay the ultimate price for? What would you go to the mat for? To Spock, it's very clear. To Kirk, it becomes clear over time. Here's what I want to do. I want, I want to kind of do a little exercise for a second. I want you to close your eyes. So go ahead, close your eyes. It's okay. Security's locking the door. We're fine. Close your eyes. And what I want you to do is take a moment, take a few seconds here, and I want you to imagine, I want you to see in your mind's eye, in your imagination, what would you pay the ultimate price for? What would you give everything for? What would you die for? Take a few seconds. Okay? All right, you can open your eyes. Now, without even asking you, without even without even like just, just us talking about it, this is what I know about you because this is what I know about me. None of you in your mind's eye, when I said, what would you die for? None of you saw a car, right? None of you saw a boat. None of you saw an office. Because, because what'd you see? People. Family, Jesus, people, relationships. Because that's what matters most. You know, I've got friends, like, when we do that kind of thing, if they were to answer that, and some of you are, are here today, and, and you don't just see, like, kids and grandkids and maybe a husband or a wife or, you know, even a friend that you love so much. Some of you, like, you, you love your animal lovers, you know, and I, I think that's cool. Like, you would die for your dog, you know. Nobody would die for a cat, but we understand that. We, we get that. We're, we, why would you? And so, because they wouldn't for you. Am I right? They don't care. They just don't care. No, what do we see? We see people. And I heard some of you say it. Your kids, your grandkids, friend Jesus, our faith. Because in the final analysis, the irreducible minimum, bottom line, I'll go to the mat. I'll give it all. It's never stuff. It's never position or title or things. It's always people. And this is the way it was with Jesus. We're going to look at what Jesus said. He's recorded as saying in the Gospel of John, he's talking to his closest friends, his closest followers. He, 
We call them the disciples. And he kind of brings this to light, that this is what he was about. That when Jesus went to bed at night, you and me were on his mind. People were on his mind. Listen to what he says in John chapter 15. He says this, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Well, what is that like, Jesus? What, what's that like? Well, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's saying this is what love really looks like. This is what love sounds like. When you see me, this is what I'm about. He says this is what I'm living for. If he were to do this exercise with us, he would have seen your face. He said that's what I'm about because that's the greatest love. Now, what makes, what makes Christ such an incredible example and such an incredible exception is that he just didn't say, well, this is, what, this is what you lay down your life for. This is what I would lay down my life for. He actually went the distance and did it. Peter, one of the guys who was in that room that night when he was talking about laying down your life for somebody else, records this in his, in his first letter. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Not for his sins. He didn't have any. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. You see, Peter's saying, Jesus just didn't say this was priority. This was top of mind. This is what I live for. This is what I would die for. But he went the distance all the way to the cross. He proved it by the way he lived. And that's different for most of us, he took his values and his priorities and fleshed them out in the way he lived every single day, all the way to the cross. And so the first question is, what, what would you die for? What would you give it all for? And the second question, I, I think it's a bigger question, I think it's a better question, is are you living for what you die for? Are you and I living every single day for what we say we would die for. And this is what I know from my own life. This is what I know from uh, the lives of others. Is that usually there's a discrepancy. Usually there's a gulf. There's a gap between what we say is most important and how we're actually living out our daily lives. How we're actually spending our time. And our time is our life. And we don't get any more. This is it. How we're investing our resources. Usually there's a gap between what we say is most important in the, the actual life we're living. And we feel that tension. You know, as, as a pastor and as a counselor, people come to me because they're struggling with that, t- that tension of here's the ideal, here's what I know matters most, and here's what I'm seeing in my own life. There's, there's a gulf. There's a gap. And if we were to be honest, many of us in the room, we would say... I, I'm wrestling with that. I'm struggling with that because I know this is what I care for the most, and yet this is how I'm spending my life, and I don't know how to reconcile it to. We're going to talk about that in a second. Are you living for what you die for? Some of us said Jesus or faith. It's not just people around us, but it's our faith. My grandmother, um, it went, when, when I was a little boy, I would spend the weekends with my grandparents, and my grandmother is just awesome. She's kind of funny in her own way. And, and she would always talk about Christ with me and the Bible. And, and she would scare me to death, right? She would tell me, always late at night, reading Briars, you know, watching The Tonight Show. It's, it's grandma's house, right? There's no bedtime. And she would talk about, you know, hey, one day the Bible's going to be illegal. You know, and she made it sound like it was going to be tomorrow. You know, 
Things are going to change. It's going to be really, really bad. And that's why you need to memorize God's word. I'm like, Grandma, if it's up to me to preserve scripture, we're in trouble because I'm eight. <laughs> and then she would go on, she'd say, you know, and she'd talk about missionaries, like being in other parts of the world, being dragged out of their homes and, you know, being threatened with execution if they didn't deny Christ, you know, and, and you know, tell me these horrible stories right before bed. I'm like, Grandma, once again, I'm eight. You're scaring me to death. I don't want to go to sleep now. Stop telling me stories. And again, it was always like going to happen tomorrow. You're going to have to be, you're going to be faced with the question, will you deny Christ? If not, you know, it's lights out. And I don't know when and if that day will, will when that will happen or wherever, but I know that there's part of me that wants to say at my best, with my, at my strongest moment in faith, that I would say, Jesus, you took a cross for me. I'll take a bullet for you. You know, and some of you feel the same way. You go, I will not deny the Christ who gave his life for me. Because he did so much for me. He gave his life for people. He gave his life, Peter says, to bring us to God. You see, the mission that's critical for us, at least according to Christ, is people and God. Loving people and loving God. Are you living for what you say you die for? This past week, of course, July 4th, Independence Day. My birthday is July 4th. This shirt, Dr. Ray got for me. Thank you. Happy birthday, me. Thank you. How did you know? You know? And, uh, and what I've made, I made the habit over the last few years of on my birthday, I get up in the morning and I read the Declaration of Independence. Um, I've just gotten in the habit, I guess, to remind myself that something else happened on July 4th. I should probably be aware. <laughs> So I read this, and you guys, man, this le- it's amazing. It's like an angry breakup letter, you know, between us and, and, and Great Britain. It's like, you know, you take our stuff. You don't treat us right. You don't talk to us right. You know, you're turning our family and friends against us, and we're done, you know. It's not me. It's you. It's all you. We're done. And the last line of, of the Declaration of Independence, these, these 56 guys get together, and the last line says, you know, because we're done, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> because we're done, because we're going to fight for this cause now, um, we pledge our lives, our honor, our fortunes to each other for this cause. And they sign away understanding that signing that document is essentially signing their own death warrant that the superpower in the world in that time, in that day, will now come after them with everything it's got. And they say, the ideal is so great. The value is so great. This new republic, this great experiment that God has called us to cannot be forged, cannot exist under that kind of tyranny. So we are done, whatever the cost. And they signed away. And they married their priority, their values, to their lives from that point on. They were willing to live for what they were telling each other. This is worth dying for. This new nation, this is worth dying for if we have to. So what would you die for? And are you living for what you say you die for? And usually there's a discrepancy. Usually there's a gap. But when we close that gap, when we bring those two things into alignment, our values, our priorities, with our everyday actions, great things happen. This is, this is how I wrote it. 
We experience greater peace, greater purpose, greater effectiveness, like traction in our lives. When we bring our reality into alignment with life's greatest priorities, God and people. When our schedules, when our checkbooks, when our habits reflect our greatest priorities. Now, when I think of a guy who lived this out very, very well, it's the Apostle Paul. We talked about Paul a little bit uh, last week. I mean, Paul lived with a laser-like focus on what mattered most. He said, you know what matters most? Christ. You know what matters most? People. And then he ordered his life in such a way that eventually he did die for Christ and for the sake of others. He invested his time raising up new leaders, starting new church plants all over the known world that cost him everything. He spent himself on behalf of the vision, on behalf of what mattered most to him. And in one of these new churches, up in a place called Ephesus, which we know is like, it was just a rock in town. I mean, they had the best of everything. They had the best fashion. You know, they had shirts like this, I'm sure. They had the best food. They had the best education, the best technology of the day. And so he writes a letter to them, and it's like he's saying, look, you guys, this is mission critical. Here's the mission. Love Christ. Lift Christ. Share Christ. Love the people around you in such a way that everybody sees you and sees something different. And he's saying, in a town like Ephesus, it might get difficult. In a town like Ephesus, it might be a struggle because you're going to be surrounded with challenges and temptations that will pull you off the mission if you're not careful. And so he writes this letter to encourage him. This is what he says, uh, just a portion of it in, in chapter 5, Ephesians 5. He says, he says this, so be careful how you live. Don't, don't live like fools, but like those who are what? What's the word? Wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Paul, you think those days were evil? Yeah, talk to my grandmother, you know. <laughs> don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And in this passage, I think we can discover four keys that will help us. This is kind of the application of, of our day. And this is, this is why it matters so much. It's summer. You know, we're, we're, at, the, we're at kind of the ebb of our, of our schedule and our responsibilities and our obligations right now, right? We're about to get ramped up, more things. Kids are going back to school in another month. You know, usually our, our work is kind of seasonal. And so I want to step back, take a breath, and reevaluate, according to this passage, look at four keys that you and I can kind of put in place to just evaluate, okay, how, how big is that gap? And, and, and what do I need to do to close that gap between what I say is most important? I would go to the mat for these relationships, for these people, for my faith, and how we're really living. So four keys to like bring the ideal and the real together, to marry those two. And so the first is this from that passage. We need to resist personal mission drift. Paul said, hey guys, be careful. Act carefully. Approach your life. Approach your choices. Approach your decisions very carefully because there's, there's mission drift. You guys know this. We live in Florida. We know that, that when the space shuttle, the space shuttle would, would um, be launched, the entire time it's, it's going up, the entire time it's, it's from the moment it leaves the launch pad, the flight crew and the engineers are making constant adjustments to keep it 
on focus, to keep it on mission. Because if they don't, it'll begin to go off course. It'll get pulled off course. And a few degrees either way could be disastrous. And so they're making constant adjustments. So Paul says, be careful. Be careful with your life because life is like gravity. It will pull you away from the things that you say and that you know matter most. When I do premarital counseling, I always tell the couple, they never believe me. But I tell them, look, I know you're in love now. I see the hearts going around your head and the butterflies and all that stuff, and you're all happy and smiley. But it won't always be this way. Trust me on this. It just won't. Because you're not going to be less busy. You're not going to have less opportunity. You're not going to have less responsibility. And life, all those things are going to pull you apart. They just will. It's like gravity. So you've got to fight to stay connected. You've got to find time together. You've got to still do the things that you're doing now that are keeping that love white hot. Because believe it or not, it ain't always going to be that way. And then a couple years later, they come back and say, you know, you're right. You know, I've lived long enough. I've seen it. We've got to fight mission drift. But secondly, we need to resolve to make wise decisions based on mission. If the mission is to love God and love people, we need to base our decisions around that. Paul said, look, he said, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. There's a there's a saying, it's actually, it's, it's one word, it's an acronym that I hear all the time. I see it on the internet, I see it on TV, you know, my kids say it sometimes, and it's, it's the acronym YOLO. What does YOLO stand for? You only live once, and this is how it's used. It's said right before somebody does something really stupid, you know, I don't know if I should jump or not, YOLO, you know. I don't know if I should go on a date with that guy. <laughs> YOLO, you know, I don't know if I should get yet another tattoo, you know. YOLO. I'm sorry, Renee. <laughs> I love tattoos. So yeah, I've got one that says mom. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's used to justify bad decisions. And Paul says, no, no, no. Life is too precious, so please don't act foolishly but make wise decisions based on what you say is the most important thing in your life. Now, Dr. Ray has shared over the last um, few years, and we've talked about a lot, that one of the vehicles, one of the tools that we can use to make wise decisions is just asking a really, really good question. You know, and the question goes like this. You might want to write it down. It's based on my past, based on my past, like my experience with God, my experience with people, based on my past, based on my current situation, like emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, professionally, all that, just every dimension. And based on my future hopes and dreams, man, what's the wise thing to do? And you ask that question, based on my past, based on my, my current situation, based on my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing? It is amazing the clarity that bubbles up to the surface about which way to go, right or left, invest, pull out, whatever. It, it becomes very clear, especially when you think of, where do I want to go? Where's the target? Where's the, where's the goal? I want a close family, so do I need to say yes or no to the opportunity that's going to take me away from my family? I want a great marriage, so do I need to flirt with my coworker? Probably not. And this is what I see all the time with the, with the gap. 
seasons, we tell ourselves this is only a season of extra work, of a financial thing or whatever. And seasons become lifestyles if we're not careful. So Paul says, be wise. Be very, very wise. You want to blow off steam because you've had a hard day, so you take a drink, and one drink turns into a few, and it becomes a daily kind of thing, and it becomes a habit, and then a habit becomes an addiction, and we shipwreck the relationships that we say matter most. I would die for them, and yet we live in a way that sabotages our own heart, our own mission. So Paul says, oh, please be wise. We need to resist mission drift. We need to resolve to make wise decisions based on what's most important. And then we need to recognize and seize opportunities that further the mission. Paul is is very specific. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. If you see the opportunity, seize it. You know, for some, it's saying yes to a job that will give them, you know, maybe less money, but more time with their young children. For others, it's saying yes to an opportunity that will give them more resources for where they are in life. For some, it's reaching out across the fence and sharing what Christ has done in your life with a neighbor. Dr. Ray is going to be starting a series called Go Fish, and it's all about sharing what God has done in us and through us and, and for us with the people that we love most and the people that we live next to. For some of us, it's seizing those opportunities. Uh, I, had a, I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago, and uh, he said, you know, I took the, um, the tithe challenge. And he said, God has just shown up. God has done great things. He's teaching me to be, to be generous. He's teaching me to be free with the resources he gave me. And we were talking over at this door, and he said, I almost didn't tithe today, but I'm so glad I did. He seized the opportunity, one more opportunity, to support his church family. He's like, I'm just so glad I did. And I'm just so proud of him. He keeps doing that. What opportunities do you need to grab hold of right now? What opportunities do you need to say, that doesn't fit with my mission? I need to say no to that. Maybe it's saying no to an opportunity professionally, financially. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's not going out with that gal. Maybe it's writing your own declaration of independence to that guy. And saying, we're done. We're done. What is it? We need to resist mission drift. Seasons become lifestyles if we're not careful. Habits become addictions if we're not careful. We need to resolve to make wise decisions. God, what's the wise thing to do based on what I know, my past, my my experience right now, and where I want to go, where I want to take my family, where I want to take my my work, how I want to invest my life. We need to make wise decisions. Uh, my friend, my friend James, um, he, he's, I think he's famous because he helps famous people. <laughs> he helps leaders all over the world become better at what they do for Christ and for other people. And I'm watching a guy flesh out the mission. He's helping people with his life. He travels all over the place, but he has a family, and this is what he does. He's always got his family with him. He's always talking to his kids. He's always got a kid with him. He's always got his wife with him. He's always doing something. He's, he's maxing it out. For Christ, he's living on point with mission. He's seizing opportunities. What opportunities do you have that you need to seize today? And finally, we need to refine, we need to refine the mission to reflect God's priorities. Paul wraps up and he says, look, you guys tell me what it says. Understand what? What who? The Lord. 
Paul says, look, you want to get this piece right. You want to nail this. You want to live for the right mission. You want to make sure the ladder you're climbing is up against the right wall. Then let God dictate the mission. And we saw earlier that Christ said it's about God. I'm I'm here to, to glorify God, to bring people safely home to him. And it's about people. It's to give your life for people. And you know what? That's what this morning is really about. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for me is that is that we'll hold that grid, that filter of what does God want and how is the way I'm living, what the mission that I've set for myself, how is that playing into what God wants to bring honor to him and to bring blessing to the people in our lives. Some of us, if we are honest, need to tweak. We need to refine. We need to dial some parts of our lives back. And we need to ramp up some other parts of our lives. Maybe we need to be part of a growth group. Maybe we need to, to experiment with generosity. Maybe we need to share our faith more. Maybe we need to, to invest more in our kids right now. Maybe we need to invest more in our husband or our wife right now or our grandkids. Some of us need to go back to school. But we need to refine based on what God has said. This is what life is all about. And this is what I know. Jesus modeled it perfectly for us. He went all the way to the cross. He married his ideals with his real life, and he's calling us to do the same this morning. So what would you die for? What would you die for? And I want to ask you, are you living today? Are you living? Will you choose to live for what you die for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that you don't just instruct us, but you're our, you're our perfect example. In Christ, we see the marriage of the ideal and the real, the marriage of the mission and the motion of daily life fleshed out in his life. I know some of us this morning, we need to just be honest. We need to step back and make some changes. And maybe that's you. You can pray something like this. Can you pray, God, help me to live on mission today from just just today, one day at a time. Help me to live for what I say I would die for. For the faces that I saw when I closed my eyes, help me to live with my money, with my time, with my gifts, with my my whole life to further our relationship with you and my relationship with them and the relationship of others. Help me to change. Maybe you've never entered into that relationship that Jesus died to give you. Peter said he died to bring us safely home to God. That's you, to bring you safely home to God, to establish a bridge between you and your creator. Maybe you can pray this morning, Jesus, I want that. Forgive me. Be my bridge to a heavenly father. Give me relationship with him. Come in and dwell and fill me with your spirit and lead me to live a life that's worth living, that's worth dying for. Father, today we're so glad that you've called us as a spiritual family, as your church. Thank you for the Bible, your word that instructs us and helps us to live on mission. In Jesus' name, amen.